everyone. Welcome back to another edition of the Skating Penguin Network Mailbag. I am Garrett Bahanna, alongside Snail this week, as it is the dynamic duo. Robbie is tending to a personal matter. He will be with us later in the week. But until then, Snail and I are here to answer more of your questions. And, uh, well, Snail, we're not going to waste any more time. We're going to get right into it. You'll take question number one. I'll take question number two. And we will uh, rotate back and forth until all of these questions are answered. And uh, with that said, uh, you can take question number one. Question number one comes from Brian. Do you see the NHL implementing some of the safety measures the EIHA over in Great Britain has from the Adam Johnson tragedy? I saw a few organizations, including the Penguins, require their AHL and ECHL affiliates to wear neck guards, and we've even seen some big-time players wear them as well. Yeah, so I saw that. I, 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 you've already seen the trickle-down effect from uh, the tragedy that happened over in Nottingham. Um, I assume it will be... I assume changes are coming, but like everything in the NHL, it's going to be a, a rather slow burn. I don't think they're going to come in and implement anything uh, permanently uh, uh, immediately. Uh, one thing I've heard is actually a lot of players are inquiring about these net guards. Um, TJ Oshie has a company, War Road, that makes the... Uh, uh, the under like an Under Armour type deal that has a, a cut resistant neck guard and a wrist protector on it that's uh, cut proof, um, and they just don't have the supply. Bauer is um, currently reaching out and talking with its athletes, and it's going to be implementing um, outfitting them with cut resistant stuff. Uh, kind of from what I understand, Bauer is going to be kind of more like being like, hey, here's like here's your essentially kind of like in layman's terms, they'll be like, here's your gear. And giving you the, they're going to give you like neck protector, wrist protector, and it'll be kind of up to the, the player could say, I don't want that on it. And it's not like they have to, but back to the, the question, the, the, the main part of this question was, is the NHL going to implement something? I assume if it does happen, it'll be implemented at lower levels, just like we've seen with just about everything else. Um, everything from the three on three overtime that was implemented in the AHL, uh, even back in the day with the visors, like visors, it was a slow burn. It was never mandatory. We just now, 20 years ago, the visors were coming into the league and we're just, I think it was last year, um, uh, grandfathered in people who weren't wearing visors uh, already, which there was only a, a handful, maybe maybe five or six guys. You could probably list them on one hand, actually, who are in the league still. you got Jamie Benn, Ryan O'Reilly, Ryan Reeves. Um, I forget the, I think there's maybe one or two others. Uh, they, uh, those guys are technically because it's a it's grandfathered in they don't have to wear them but from now on everybody has to wear visors so um because it was such a tragic event i wouldn't be surprised if maybe there's a little bit more of uh, uh, urgency to get the uh, the neck guard uh implemented and, and something that you're going to start seeing on everyday nhl players but you got to think about like i'd mentioned earlier there's probably like a severe backlog right now everybody's asking for the neck guard so uh in the next few years i wouldn't be surprised if you know, over half the league is wearing some sort of net guard. Uh, you see some players already wearing it right now. And like, uh, like uh, mentioned in the question from Brian, the AHL and the ECHL teams are rolling it out. So wouldn't be surprised if by next year you're seeing a vast majority of the league, um, depending on, of course, inventory and whatnot, um, wearing them. Um, let's see. Question two here from Brian. Brian asks, are you surprised uh, Mangiapane only got one game for his cross-check on McCann? That was blatantly on purpose, and he shouldn't have gotten anything less than four games. This cross-check was no less egregious than McAvoy's illegal check to the head on Oliver ekman Larson. Did you see that, that cross-check to McCann's head, Gary? Yeah I, yeah, I watched it. It was, It's weird. Based on the NHL standards, uh, Mangiapane is not a repeat offender, and I don't think he has any such related incidents in the past. So I can understand from that perspective why the department of player safety would want to maybe it's not a slap in the wrist, but maybe you call it, maybe it is the equivalent of a slap in the wrist because it's just one game out of 82. I, I, it's not like you're going to throw the book at Mangiapani. However, I will say he's in complete control of his actions. There really is no reason for Mangiapani to do what he did. Jared McCann was blocking that shot 
and was going to slide into him. He slid. I don't know what Mangiapane took offense with because McCann was laying out on the ice, sliding into him. I, I don't know what you're, what, what are you trying to do if you're Mangiapane? I don't think there was reckless intent. I don't think he has intent to injure McCann there. But still, you are in complete control of your actions with your stick on the ice. And his head, like it or not, went into the ice surface because of that cross-check. It's a cross-check by by a textbook definition. That's exactly what it is. McCann was forced to leave the game and he came back after afterwards. So... I think a suspension is warranted. Like I said, I don't think Mangiapane is a repeat offender, so I don't know if this was going to be uh, as severe as a four- or five-game suspension as some may have wanted. Um, but I am not an executive within the Department of Player Safety, so uh, I know they have given their justification in video form as to why it's only a one-game suspension. But at the end of the day, you have a player who's not a repeat offender who hasn't regularly been fined throughout his career. It was a dumb play. Manjupani said he had no intention of injuring this player. I'm inclined to take him at his word for now. If, you know, if this behavior persists and he gets suspended again, well, then we can have a different kind of discussion. But for now, um, I'm sure this will be swept under the rug and forgotten about in, in a week's time until the next big egregious call is, is missed by the referees or the Department of Player Safety. All right, uh, we are going to switch things around here. You, Snail, said you wanted this question from Brian, so that is what you are going to get. The fellows over on the Locked On Penguins podcast put their general manager hats on and made a trade of CC for Ricard Raquel and Pierre-Olivier Joseph. Definitely could use CC on the third pair, but who are you going to use in the top six to replace Ricard Raquel? We finally just got Carter out of the lineup, and this would probably put Carter back in there somewhere. So I know that uh, Locked on Pens with uh, Hunter Hodes, and uh, what's the name of the other fellow on there? My co-worker, Pat Damp. Your coworker Pat Damp. So I know Garrett plays a little bit of tummy sticks with these guys. They're they're good pals <clears throat> behind the scenes, but this is just a ridiculous take. I can't, out of all the moves you could make on with this roster right now of all the hypotheticals, and I'm all for a good hypothetical. I that's all I do is come up with hot takes and hypotheticals. But Cody Cece was a failed experiment in Pittsburgh already. He's a he's a an offensive a more offensive defenseman you're not put uh, you're not putting him there to to stop bad things from happening in your own end he's a defensive liability i'll say that and he's getting older ricard raquel is off to a really slow start like it's it's trickling into like not five alarm fire but this is uh it's not good right now like he's got one point i've mentioned this before every time i see him every shift he's falling down he's he's just looks like he's trying to swing for the fences he's having a tough time he's gripping gripping the stick a little bit too hard you can tell he's feeling the heat ricard raquel is a very talented player like this guy's good for you can you can put down 20 goals for this guy almost any season he's a skill guy he's a top six player you can't move him down in your lineup because that's just not who he is or ever has been i don't know if you saw he's uh got the tongues out which uh i give my thumbs up to last game he put his uh skate tongues out uh historically has them tucked in but uh he's trying to change the mojo up a little bit i appreciate that so you know he cares he's trying he's he's tinkering um anyways Raquel, we things are going to start happening for Raquel. That line is producing. Like, yeah, he isn't on the score sheet ever, it seems. But, like, Riley Smith and Evgeny Malkin are carrying that second line uh, pretty well. So, get and POJ. POJ is one of our only, like, I don't even know if you'd call him a prospect anymore. But he's one of, like, our... I look at him as a valuable trade chip, especially when we get closer to... If the Penguins are in a... Um, like, a, you know, battling for a playoff spot or in a playoff spot. POJ is a great trade asset for the trade deadline with a little bit of a backlog there on the on the third pair. We have Eric Carlson and Chris Letang on this team. There's no need for adding a, a, a D-list offense, a puck mover like Cody Cece to our third pairing. We need a defensive shutdown guy. Now, if it was for a defensive shutdown defenseman... Um, 
you know, that stops pucks from going in the net and maybe plays with a little physicality and grit on the third pair. And then you may pique my interest a little bit more with this trade. Um, but this just is uh it's a terrible take. It's a, it's a terrible hypothetical and uh, we all have them sometimes. It's okay. You know, sometimes you swing and you miss, but uh, there's no need to even be pondering the idea of adding a Cody CC to a third pairing on the Penguins. It, it failed here. It's They tried. He was actually okay. He wasn't the worst. He was kind of a, a whipping boy in, pre, uh, in previous uh, landing spots for him, but uh, he actually played all right in Pittsburgh, but they moved on from him. And, and uh, if we're adding anyone to that third pairing and we're trading a top six winger and a uh, I don't even know what you got a promising young player. It's that's not what we're looking for. So uh, I'll get I'll get off my soapbox and we'll move on. But uh, tough take, tough take. I'll say that uh, this, next, this next question was actually question three, but uh, we're switching things around. And Brian asks <laughs> at the passion that you spoke with about ranch spark this week's food question. So Brian asks, what restaurant or establishment has the best ranch? The best ranch. I mean, that's always going to be subjective no matter who you are. Uh, let me think. I had Primanti brothers over the weekend, uh, a Pittsburgh staple. Their ranch was really good. I don't know if it was just that batch that they made or, or what but boy i i was dipping just about everything i could into that ranch dressing uh, i i would dip my shoe in that ranch and eat it if i could so i we and snail and i were talking off camera right before we started recording about the the pros and cons the good branch versus the bad ranch and we were talking about the glue consistency of hidden valley and and whatnot um i really had a wake-up call over the weekend because i had hidden valley ranch from the bottle and I had this ranch from Primanti Brothers, and I was like, wow, this is like night and day difference in the quality here. The The Primanti Brothers ranch was a lot more herby, and I think Snail used that description while we were talking as well. Uh, I, I, I really do enjoy a good herby ranch. Um, Hidden Valley is fine in a pinch, but... I've noticed, especially when comparing these two particular ranches, that uh, Hidden Valley is incredibly sweet, almost too sweet to a fault. And that's where I kind of uh, I kind of leave the ranch discussion compared to where you where you guys had it last week. But uh, I know Primanti is a sort of a cop out answer because it's not like a mom and pop shop. Uh, it's a chain in and around Pittsburgh. But for my money, uh, I'll, I'll go Primanti's. Maybe it's recency bias, but but that's where that's where my discussion on ranch comes to an end. So, do you like a runnier ranch? Because Robbie and I were talking uh, last mailbag. It's like <clears throat> there's more of like the I'm not going to say glue consistency because because that's uh, that's kind of just like store bought out of the fridge stuff. But like we were talking about how like some salad bars have this like ranch that's like super runny, like barely thicker than water. And that always tends to slap a little bit harder. Also, uh, to, to, uh, a second part to that would be like, do you, can you tell the difference between your milk ranch and regular ranch? If you blindfolded me, maybe. Uh, I'm not going to say my taste buds and my palate are that refined, but going back to your first question, a thicker versus a runnier ranch, I think I would have to go towards a runnier, more liquidy ranch. Um, yeah, definitely a, a runny. Yeah. I don't know why there's no, I have no evidence to back that up, but yeah, you said it hits different and I'm starting to think of like all of the restaurants I've eaten at over the years that have runnier ranches and it just works better i don't know what it is but yeah i agree with, i agree with that assessment 100 percent. also do you ever uh I, this might be controversial but do you ever dip your pizza in ranch oh i i lather my pizza and i just, <laughs> just take it right out of the box and just dunk it right in the ranch and it, I, I i call it a ranch pizza rather than whatever uh whatever topping is on my pizza at that time I ranch okay. and pizza bar none is the best food condiment combination. Uh, not, not mustard and hot dogs, not ketchup and hamburgers, not peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter and jelly is a close second, but for my money, ranch and pizza is 
just the the undisputed king of of combinations i don't know why it works i wasn't i never tried it until i was quite a bit older and Same. once i did i was like you know what that actually my i would maybe eat the pizza first and then i would just use the crust to dip in ranch like it's a, a breadstick almost but mm -hmm. then you know i don't really do it too often but if i have some um decent ranch which there's you know store-bought ranch it is what it is i'll put I'll, I'll put a little ranch on a pizza i'm not afraid of that I remember where I was the first time I had ranch. I was at my grandmother's house and it wasn't even with pizza. It was with uh, chicken tenders and she pulled ranch out of the refrigerator. And I'm like, eh, because when I was a kid, I was really selective. Like it was ketchup and that was it. Like I didn't like mustard. I didn't like mayonnaise. I didn't like ranch. It was ketchup and that was it. And like, as I've gotten older, I've, I've, I love mayonnaise. I love mustard. Uh, I, I love all of these condiments, but yeah, like my eyes were opened. Like you can, you can put that in the timeline, the, the time leading up to before I had ranch and after I had ranch. Yeah. Like it was like your before Christ, after Christ moment, there was hey, like yep. B-R-A-R for mm -hmm. your, your life's timeline. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's a perfect description. Alrighty. With that, uh, we'll go to question five from Brian and snail since he is the resident gear enthusiast have you seen the tovi mirage pro v3 the technology and innovation is very impressive says brian do you think we will see this in the nhl yeah so i've seen this tovi i've actually maybe mentioned them on here a little bit before um they're a, a new brand trying to crack into the nhl which i mean i gotta tip my hat to some of these companies it seems like starting a hockey stick company from scratch like we've seen other brands come and go that are or like i mean you remember uh stx stx they're a lacrosse company they make lacrosse sticks uh, uh james uh james van reemsdyke was using one and also i think uh, uh pittsburgh kid Vin, uh, vinnie Tro, uh, vincent trocheck he was using stx for a long time i think too but he's a warrior guy now stx is not in the league anymore i would be i would be shocked to see it stx stick but anyways um i tip my hat to a company like this they're a small company out of boston tovias and um yeah they're a their diamond air patented blade is impressive i when i first saw it i thought it was a bit gimmicky it reminded me a little bit of uh bauer had a stick out last year um uh, called the bauer sling and the bauer sling had a big <laughs> essentially like an, a gaping wound in the in the the blade in the paddle of the stick and it was to make it more aerodynamic and it's weird because you can't really tape it so then it kind of incentivized people to buy these uh they're called res tech they're more of like a grip tape sticker you put on it and they would have a cutout in it it reminded me of that whole thing which there were i think cole caulfield was using the sling for a little bit a couple other players uh bauer athletes were trying it didn't stick around long. I didn't see the sling for too long after like I, well into the season. I'm pretty sure they were already extinct. No one was really using them. So the, the diamond air patented blade that they kind of got kind of reminded me of that. It looks like a floorball hockey stick. Have you ever seen a floorball hockey stick? It's just, it's like perforated. It's like, but uh, anyways, yeah, they're a Boston company. I think they actually, they are NHL approved. So we might be seeing an influx of these over time here. There's only one NHL player I know of who is using one right now. And that's another Boston guy, Charlie Coyle, playing for uh, for the Bruins. Um, he's using a Toby hockey stick right now. And I don't think he's using one every shift. Like I've seen him using it, but I, I, I don't know. He might be testing it out. Uh, Toby might be greasing his pockets a little bit to go out there and have a shift or two with one, but, uh, that blaze weird. Yeah. It looks like a floorball stick. Uh, and it's got, um, it's actually like got kind of like a sandpapery grip to it too. So you don't even have to use tape or, um, a res tech sticker or what, what have you. But I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, it only takes, we've talked about this before. It only takes one or two guys to use something and it might spark something. It's like, yeah, that guy's trying that. I might try it. And then all of a sudden you'll see a trickle effect and um, 
You never know. So, I, I mean, if they're NHL approved and you got one guy in, I wouldn't be surprised if you start to see two or three giving it a shot. So uh, hopefully for their sake, with I'm sure the hefty investments and the time and injuries spent to get these things approved and, and mass produced and put on the market, I, I hope some guys, some, some NHLers pick up a, a contract with them and start u- using it. Uh, if you're listening to Obi Hockey, I'd love to try one. So uh, my ad is Medisnail91. If you want to send me one, I'm a right shot. Uh, 87 flex, please. Uh, but yeah, uh, interesting stuff there out of, from, out of Boston from Toby. Let's see. Brian asks here for question six. Another thing that really seems to be hurting this team is a lack of any kind of net front presence. We've seen journeyman goalies look top tier because it's just too easy for them to track the puck and get, uh, get position. I agree. I miss Patrick Hornquist for, if for nothing else, that very reason. The power play, I mean, the power play has struggled for a myriad of reasons, but one of them being that they don't have a guy who either can or is willing to stand there in front of the goalie, take some physical abuse, and screen the goalie. A lot of these power play shots, at least from what I saw, were directly into the logo half the time. Of course the goalie, of course you you put... Uh, a second string AHO goalie in net. Yeah, he's going to turn into Patrick Wife. All you're doing is shooting these pucks directly into the logo, into the middle of the sweater. So that leads me to my next question. Where can you find a Patrick Hornquist clone? And where can you find a Patrick Hornquist clone on the cheap? Because the Penguins are cap strapped, basically. I know uh, Jake Gensel, I know the coaches have been tinkering with Gensel being put in that role I don't know if I would be willing to have him in that role. First off, he's, I mean, Pornquist wasn't the tallest guy, neither is Gensel, but Gensel, I don't even know if, if he's 190 pounds. So I'd like a guy with a bit more girth who I think Patrick Hornquist, he was over 200 pounds. I don't know if he was far over 200, but I know for a fact he was over 200 pounds. I don't that was a risk- That was a thick, I mean, he was ripped up like a, he, he was, you know, he was a, he was a hefty dude. I don't, well, the, the big thing with Gensel being that Hornquist replacement too, that I don't like is risking potential injury from an errant puck or a deflection that comes up and hits you in the face or what have you. So, I mean, not to say that you want to sacrifice like a bottom six scrub to, to put in that position, but because Patrick Hornquist was not a bottom six scrub, but he was willing and able to put his body on the line and i i don't know if we have that on on this team so again where where can we get a patrick hornquist replacement i don't know it's i will say and snail i don't know if you brought this up on a prior podcast but put redeem zahorna in front of the net due to six foot six you can't teach height so uh, and he's six foot six, two twenty, I think, somewhere around there. I know he's well over two hundred pounds. Six foot six, over two hundred pounds. That is going to be a nightmare for a goalie to try and maneuver around to gain positioning and stop shots. I don't know why that hasn't been tried because, I mean, Patrick Hornquist was not six foot six. Having a having a guy with redeem Zahorna's frame up there. I mean, I know Zahorna has found a home on that third line with Lars Eller. And because the bottom six has been non-existent offensively. So I don't know if you want to mess with a good thing that's going, but again, it's just another thing that the penguins lack, that I wish that they could fix, but it's easier said than done. So now, did you have anything you wanted to add? I mean, it Radim Zahorn is on the third line, but that doesn't mean you can't put him on the first power play just to be sure, net front yeah. presence. I mean, Patrick Horn- Phil Kessel was on the third line and he was on the first power play. Patrick Hornquist, he actually played in the top six quite a bit, but as he got older, he was maybe more of like a fourth liner type of guy. Maybe he would, because of the Penguin system, he'd get a sniff further up. But yeah, he doesn't need to be. Dude, that, that's a. I've said this before. Radim Zahorn is a unicorn player. Like, he hasn't put it all together yet at the NHL level, but. Yeah, stick him in front of a goal. He doesn't have to, and he's been scoring goals from right around the net. Like he's yeah, already yeah. got a nose for the net. It just makes too much sense. But yeah, we all know Sullivan's pretty stubborn. So, anyways, we'll see how that we'll we'll see what happens. But I agree, we need a net front guy. Yeah, absolutely. That's 
on the to-do list of things that I like Kyle Dubas to do that getting a net front guy could fix a lot of issues, especially on that power play. A lot of shots are coming from, from Carlson, Latang, and Gino on the power play from, from far out. And those you are need... the easier shots. I mean, Carlson and Latang have great shots, but as a goaltender, if you're facing all of that, all of those shots from the blue line, you're going to have even more time to put yourself in position and make those saves. So, uh, yeah, like I said, they have great shots, but if you're giving the goaltender time, he's going to save it more often than not. So, I don't know. Snail, you bring up a good point with, with Sullivan's stubbornness. I don't know if you can really get that out of Sullivan, but uh, hopefully, you know, after the, the, the big win against the Sharks the other night, as they're still on the West Coast, hopefully he's uh, maybe more open to try some experimentation as the season goes on. But uh, let's talk about another uh, part of the Penguins game that really hasn't been up to snuff, and that's Tristan Jari. Question seven comes from Brian. It's starting to look like, according to Brian, that Tristan Jari is not cut out to be the guy. So do you think the organization would try and push Joel Blomquist faster than they wanted to in order to try and save the season? Blomquist is currently 4-2 and two with a 191 goals against average and a 920 save percentage. No, they're not going to. And I, he's not going to save the season even if they did. Maybe he's a, you know, we don't know. He's barely played pro hockey on the, in this continent. We have no idea how his game is going to translate to the AHL level yet alone. It's still early in the AHL season. So uh, I the, the Penguins are a little bit in one right now with the goaltending situation. It's still early. We got to always remind ourselves we can't overreact yet. But, I mean, right now it's, it's Jari who, I mean... Yes, he isn't looking great, like to say the least. Ned's out long-term IR. That's not good. He looked okay in a couple of the starts. I mean, the Penguins collectively didn't look great, but I thought he looked okay. We got Magnus Hellberg, who's he's one of those goalies I'm curious about. I, we've talked about him a little bit on here, but he's like massive. He's like 6'6". He just doesn't have the greatest track record, save percentage-wise, uh, in the NHL, wins losses aren't aren't great, but I don't know. He, he's they're not going to uh, Blomquist needs to just marinate. It, it's not going to do him any good to bring him up and put a put all the expectations on him that he's he needs to be the guy that turns the season around. Because if anything, it's actually going to be it. It would be the worst thing to do right now because the Penguins are looking pretty iffy in front of Jari, and you don't want to bring in this green goaltender in Blomquist and have him just be thrown to the wolves facing high danger chances. It's not, that's not how you want to ease a goaltender into his professional career. So I don't know. I think they need to go out and explore something. I saw the hurricanes today. They just signed Dan Vladar to a, uh, or no, 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 not Dan Vladar. Was it Halak? God, now I'm, it was a Halak yep, to a, right. a, a PTO. Mm-hmm. Halak's a, a, a you know pretty good goaltender to pick up for peanuts money wise. That's just been sitting around waiting for a job. I'm a little bit I, when I saw that I was like, geez, I, I wonder if Dubis was sniffing around on him as well because Halak. I wouldn't mind having Halak backing up Jari. You know he's got NHL experience. He's had his uh, his ups and downs too. You know he's been a backup more lately at times, but. I don't know. They need to do, they need to figure something out. And I think Dubas, there's no way Dubas is sitting up there watching this thinking, you know, I'm, I'm sure he's probably got something. I wouldn't be surprised if by uh, American Thanksgiving, maybe we we see something going on goaltender wise, whether it's a, a PTO or a, maybe some sort of a, a, a hockey trade, maybe a, a goalie for goalie backup. I don't know. I think we'll see something. Uh, Garrett, do you have anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, just to put a bow on it, uh, I, I think Kyle Dubas is going to be proactive. However, I think he was willing to let his guys try and figure out their own problems first. I think American Thanksgiving is a good benchmark if this team is continuing to struggle because oftentimes uh, everyone likes to look at American Thanksgiving as that sort of uh, first marker in the season. If you're in playoff positioning by Thanksgiving – you appear to be in good shape as the season goes on. And if you're out of it, historically, you're not going to be in playoff position. So I think Dubas is letting his guys have a little bit of a longer leash. But by no means, I think we are 
we were so accustomed to Ron Hextall doing nothing that we're scared that Dubas is going to do nothing. But I, I don't think that's that, that couldn't be further from the truth. Kyle Dubas is going to be proactive. Uh, it may not be an overnight fix, but I, I, I would almost guarantee that if things continue on this downward trajectory towards Thanksgiving, Kyle Dubas is willing and able to shake things up. Yep. I, you got, we're, we're like trauma. We all have trauma, collective trauma from the Hextall regime. Yeah. And you know, people are still getting over that collective trauma. So it'll just take, it'll take longer for some than others to get over it, which I can understand. <laughs> In therapy, just being like, I'm just worried that Dubas isn't going to do anything about the goaltender. I'm um, putting you on this antidepressant medication. You're <laughs> talking about a hockey general manager. This makes no sense. <laughs> wouldn't be surprised if someone some therapist out there is is prescribing somebody zoloft for the uh the horrible job that hextall did in pittsburgh i can neither confirm nor deny that that person was me <laughs> there you go. wouldn't be shocked uh, i should probably get on a similar program settle me down a little bit but uh let's go let's move on here from the goaltending um goaltending question and we'll move into question eight coming from brian yet again another brian dominated uh mailbag brian uh brian says uh i'm curious what you boys think is the greatest save in penguins history uh are you going to say the save are you saying flower and oh nine and nine in the cup final or are you going to say one that doesn't stand out right away so back into the goaltending question so when i was putting the mailbag together and uh, Snail, we can get your thoughts on this too. When I was putting the mailbag together last night and I saw this question, my first instinctual thought was Marc-Andre Fleury game seven, 2009. That was, and maybe it's a recency bias because I'm a younger fan and I didn't see Frank Peter Angelo make the save. I think that was 1991. Uh, so that was well before my time. If my dad were here, he could give you more insight into the save as it became known, but for my money as a younger Penguins fan, um, I, I would watch hype packages on YouTube of Penguins highlights. It's closer towards when the postseason would begin just to get me hyped up for the postseason. And just to, like every little hype video that I would see would feature that Marc-Andre Fleury game seven save. Uh, everything that, that came with that moment uh, them upsetting the the much more overpowered Red Wings uh, to, to get that first Stanley Cup with that core, uh, the first Stanley Cup of the Crosby era. It, it just, it means something to me. I don't know if I can put it into words. That nostalgia of that team, that save, everything about that moment just hits perfectly for me. If I was alive to witness the 91-92 cup runs and witness Frank Pietrangelo make the save, you know, maybe I'd have a different opinion, but because I was alive or around to see Flurry make that save, that that performance right there put him in the Penguins history books. And he'd be around for years and years later to further etch his name in those history books, but that was like the first superstar moment that that I can remember in my Penguins fandom and for that reason the the flurry save is always going to be on my top number one list of best saves in franchise history. Yeah, it's it, it is the flower save in 09. I I was trying to think of like some galaxy brain like hero comment to make about some save and I was thinking like what about just like what about Jeff Zatkoff? Like he didn't make like any like crazy saves in that game that he started. Uh, was it uh, Jeff Zatkoff? Was that in 2016 playoffs? It was, it's. I was thinking of Jeff Zatkoff, and as soon as you said it, I wanted to interrupt you. But yeah, it was. <laughs> it was game one. Game of one. 2016 playoffs. 2016. He didn't, he didn't play. He didn't play a. I don't think he played a single game after game one. It is. It is fascinating if you look at like the alternate timeline because the Penguins dominated the, I think they played the Rangers in that first round series. They dominated them. Uh, and it, it was on the back of Jeff Zakoff in game one. And they kind of used that as a springboard. I'm not saying Jeff Zakoff was the reason they won the Stanley cup, but you can make a connection from Jeff Zakoff's game one performance in the playoffs to them winning that Stanley cup that year. 
And Jari was backing up that game. Was he backing up Zekoff? I swear, yeah, I should double check. I was watching that highlight over the summer, and I see Jari on the bench, and it's like that must have been when he was still like just a baby. He would have had to have been, yeah, uh, for Jeff Zetkoff to, yeah, because he, I don't know if he had NHL experience at that point, Jari. So, but yeah, I, Jeff Zetkoff is is always going to have a special place in my heart as well. Uh, yeah he didn't make any like crazy i mean he made some he made the saves that you needed to that game but i would you could argue that that like like you said he stepped in uh, god i remember watching that being like no shit this guy's gonna play game one. Oh well we got you know if if he shits the bed we got um we'll get we'll get flurry back in no time or or, or murray or whoever started next and Whoever was first to come off the IR or whatever. And, and, and yeah, I think it did. I think it boosted morale and it springboarded this team to be like, we can win with Zach Coffin. He has his name on the Stanley Cup. How cool is that? So I don't know. I was thinking of like a hero take for that. And I was like, oh, you could argue maybe Zach Coffin game one against the Rangers. Yeah, uh, I have no problem accepting that take as we move into some weird conspiracy theory territory here with question nine from Brian. Do you believe in the Paul McCartney conspiracy that he died in a car crash and was replaced by a lookalike? The proponents of this conspiracy make you wonder if it's actually true. Snail, are you a Beatles fan or or not? No, I hate the Beatles. Actually, they make me serious? like de- they make me like depressed. I don't know. Every time I listen to a Beatles song, I get like I don't know. It makes me like I feel a certain way. It'll come on in like a restaurant or a grocery store or at a bar or something, and I'm like, oh, I don't even know the song name. I'm like, this is the Beatles, isn't it? Just gives me kind of like the ick. Um, wow. Yeah, but uh, I believe. I mean, dude, is I don't know this conspiracy. I I know you're a Beatles fan, Garrett. So you got is this? Was there a controversy back in the day with a Paul McCartney car accident and a body double potentially? I don't think this conspiracy really has legs or merit to it. Uh, I think McCartney has looked the same in from 1966 to 2023. I, to me anyway, uh, I, I think this is just another person putting on a tinfoil hat for all the wrong reasons. Uh, Snail, I know you do love your tinfoil hats, even if you're not the, the biggest Beatles fan, but yeah, th- this is one of those conspiracy theories that I personally don't buy. Um, is John Lennon actually dead? Was he actually shot or did he just flee to Brazil for anonymity? You know, that, 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 I just made that conspiracy theory up out of thin air. That's how easy you can make up a conspiracy theory. Of course, John Lennon died and he was assassinated in like that lobby of the hotel back in 1980. So I guess okay, it's so, oh, uh, no. Let me interrupt quick. So I had to look this up. Uh, this is on Wikipedia, and I don't want. I'm not going to read too much of this. But, uh, dude, this rumor started in 1966. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tony Barrow, Tony Barrow, who wrote a book, um, John Paul George Ringo and Me. The rumors about McCartney's death started circulating in September 1966. At the time. Barrow was the press officer for the Beatles and was responsible for fielding calls from fans in the media. He began receiving a number of calls from people asking whether McCartney was all right, to which he replied that he had recently spoken with McCartney. In early 1967, a similar rumor circulated in London that Paul McCartney had been killed in traffic um, in a traffic accident while driving along the M1 motorway on the 7th of January. The rumor was acknowledged and rebuted in the February issue of the Beatles book. Paul McCartney alluded that the rumor, uh, uh, then alluded to the rumor during a press conference held around the release of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, whatever that is, in May. Um, okay, so... Uh, it's, I guess th- some there were some concerned citizens that maybe saw Paul McCartney get into an accident on the M1 motorway. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Let's just say it's that. true. I mean, yeah, you could have more fun and just say it's true and, and, and believe that. That's Rick McCartney. Rick, yeah, Rick McCartney has just been filling in for the deceased Paul for the better part of 60 years at this point. What if what if the conspiracy gets thicker and it's like what if Paul was like 
what if Rick McCartney, the body double, is like better, a better singer and musician than Paul was? He like got his break. He's like, holy shit. Everyone's like, God, Paul sounds amazing. This yeah, guy's well, way like, good. He must have been getting lessons. The, yeah, the guy in the, who, the, the Paul McCartney in the early 60s and Rick McCartney after 1966. There, there's a massive difference there. I don't know what, what happened to Paul. Did he take vocal lessons? Rick's big break. He's killing it still. But you know what? Good for Rick. You know, we, we need more more stories like that to, to. Yeah. Does it make our lives any better to believe this? Like, are any worse believing this? No, it's, it's fun. So good on you, Rick McCartney. Uh, I'm sure there is a Rick McCartney out there who uh, may find this one day and be like, what the hell are these people talking about? Anyway. Anyway, we'll move on here. Question number 10. Um, uh, or is it my turn? Or did I read that uh, last one? Uh, but, 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 no, I read the last one, so you can take. I'll read you. Uh, or no, wait. Do you read this one? I think I think you read that one. Yeah, I read question nine. You read question ten. Okay, question ten from Brian. What is your boys' thoughts? Uh, or what what is your thoughts with all the stuff going on in Ottawa from the loss of the first round draft pick? The Pinto suspension and the Dorian firing. There's some drama in Ottawa. A lot going on. A, a lot going on up there is right. Yeah, that's putting it lightly. Um, and I re I remember reading a couple of days ago that the new Senators owner Michael Andelar was not pleased with some of the things that the NHL chose to omit from him uh, while he was completing his transaction for the Senators, which I think is just incredibly shady on the NHL's part that. If it's true that they didn't disclose some of this information, uh, going back to the Dadnob trade with Pierre Dorian and the, the Pinto suspension, I think that's just incredibly shady business from the NHL's perspective, if it turns out to be true. Um, but even so, now the Senators have lost the first-round pick because of a general manager who made a trade for Evgeny, Evgeny Dadnob, who's not even there anymore. They still lose the first-round pick. One of their better young players, Shane Pinto, has been suspended for like half a season due to sports betting issues that were really never elaborated on or what really caused that. Uh, yeah. It's just been a, a wild and crazy time to be an Ottawa senators fan. I kind of feel bad for him because, Oh yeah. You know, they lose that first round pick for that dad knob trade. And it's, it's almost unfair in a way. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm not going to feel sympathy because I really don't care because I'm not an Ottawa fan, but from an outsider's perspective, that looks incredibly, incredibly rough to lose a first round pick over a botched trade and, and the language regarding the trade. Uh, then the Pinto suspension again, it's just a, it's just a poop sandwich is what it is. Well, I, it, it's incredibly like, Oh, it pisses me. I like, I don't care. I don't have any, I don't, we don't have any skin in this game. Like Garrett had kind of mentioned, but like, dude, this Anlauer guy, he just paid a billion dollars to join your guys's club. And then if the NHL isn't being transparent about the things that they're uh, investigating with Pinto and uh, with the this whole like language in the trade, the Dadnov trade, like if they're not being transparent with this guy who just laid down a billion dollars to join your club, like that's a horrible look for Batman in the NHL. And I, I mean, I don't blame that Ann Lauer for being pissed and being salty over this. I don't think he's trying to make waves. It's been noisy in Ottawa for years. They have been a bottom of the barrel team. They've acute. They're trying to do the right thing, despite the drama with Dorian, despite, you know, the previous owner rest in peace. You know, it was it's always been a little noisy up there. And these young players, you got they've got the draft picks. They've acquired some veteran pieces in Giroux and Tarasenko. Uh, Chitrin, they're trying to do the right thing, but it's just this, it's, it's not even the players. It's the, it's the, it's the higher ups that are shooting themselves in the foot and they're really doing their fans a disservice. The players a disservice. I feel for those players because they're the ones that have to go and talk to the media every day. And when you're not playing well and you're losing and they're dealing with injuries to good players and it's just a lot on their shoulders, you feel bad for them. But hey, that's the hand that they're dealt, and I'm sure I I wouldn't be shocked if that first round pick penalty gets rescinded. Like I think that 
I'm sure Ann Lauer has has a team. They're going to be talking. I'm it that there's no way if it is the way it seems where they kind of just hit him with this out of nowhere. That wasn't even his regime. That wasn't him and his people taking care of that. I think it should. He fired Dorian over this whole thing. Like that should be penalty enough. It's already noisy up there. Bettman just hates Canadians having hockey teams. He wants them to relocate to Houston. He wants more teams in the Sun Belt. Talk about a tinfoil hat take, but it's Bettman just hates Canada. He wants all the teams in the States and he wants everyone relocating to where it's hot. And uh, he probably wants to give Vegas another team. That's probably it. Honestly, that's not the first time I've heard someone say Bettman hates Canadians. I've heard that that uh, in comment sections before. So that's that's not a new phenomenon that Gary Bettman he won't put a, he won't put a team back in Quebec City. Uh, he he wants to take the Flames out of Calgary. The only the only Tor- the only team that's going to stay in Canada is Toronto. Montreal is going to come down into the states. It's going to be the the Houston Canadians, the Houston Oil Barons. Oil Baron. Oh, uh, yes. Uh huh. Just take the Oilers out of Edmonton. I mean, there wasn't there was a uh, I don't know how much NFL history you know. There was an NFL team named the Houston Oilers. Uh, they eventually relocated to become Tennessee Titans, but the Oilers' name is uh, is familiar in the United States, where it is just as familiar up in Canada. So, could the Oilers relocate to Houston and become the Houston? Oh, God. That would be well. Sheesh! With the way things are going in Edmonton right now, you be careful what you say because yeah. it's uh, it's noisy in Edmonton as well. But we don't have to go down that path. Let's just say Canada is in a bit of turmoil regarding a few different teams. Um, feel for them, you know. I I do. I feel a little bit for them. It's it sucks, especially this Ottawa situation. It's it's kind of. I think it's a disgrace by Bettman. It's he needs to chill. Like, what are you doing? This yeah. guy just paid a billion dollars. It's a I agree. It's a pretty harsh penalty for the guy who just paid that money to join your exclusive boys club. Like you said, it wasn't his regime that constructed the Dadanov trade. And here he is still trying to get his feet wet. I'm not one to defend billionaires. I'm the last person who's going to defend a billionaire on this earth. But the way that the NHL went about this, if they didn't have the transparency that Andelauer is claiming that they didn't have, it's just a mega bad look for the league. Horrible look. Come on, Batman. No wonder you get booed every time you show your face in public. So uh, with that, we'll go to question 11 here. The penultimate question from Brian, a simple one for your snail. What is your favorite tradition in hockey? Ooh, this is a good question. There's a lot of great traditions in, in hockey. Um, uh, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll say two, maybe. One of them, I, I love the, the hats on the ice after a hat trick. I just, you know, I think it's fun. You, when you, what do they say? When you lose your favorite hat, it was a good night at a hockey game. And, uh, God, what's another great tradition? Um... You know, this is kind of dumb maybe, but I don't know if you have this in Pittsburgh. They had them at the WHL games that are out here in the Pacific Northwest as well as the uh, Kraken. But it seems like every team finds like a certain word to highlight and chant a little bit louder during the Star Spangled Banner. Like you hear, I don't know, that's kind of fun or, or, uh, God, what are some traditions actually? I'm kind of blanking right now. And what are some like, uh, uh, fighting after a, a, a legal hit nowadays uh that's a good tradition um yeah i don't know i don't know actually uh, probably probably the hat trick with the hats on the, the ice i love that do you see austin matthews got his third hat trick and there was a bra on the ice i did context from that i asked from twitter uh yeah i was like what in the world I was so confused uh, that you just connected all of those dots for and I'm like, oh my God, why would you do uh, I just saw tits out for Austin Matthews or something and this dude's carrying this massive black bra off the ice. I think was that's great. Was it a great. guy that threw it? Or- 
Oh, I don't know. Pro the God, probably. Now that I think about it, it was probably some dude. Uh, that's going to be a new tradition. That's going to be the new. Uh, ask oh, me next year what your favorite, what my favorite tradition is. It'll probably be that. So, uh, probably the hats, though. Uh, Garrett, what what about you? What are some traditions that that we got in hockey that are um, that I'm not thinking of? It's not hockey exclusive, but I love playoff beards. There's something so weird. Uh, and so magnificent about a, a, the, the group of these like cavemen hockey players who are going on this journey to try and win this silver cup over the course of like two months. And the further along they get, the the stragglier and larger and weirder their their playoff beards get in Pittsburgh. I mean, we're no stranger to see Sidney Crosby can't really grow a beard. Evgeny Malkin can't really grow a beard. Chris Letang has an okay beard. Um, but I, I just love the absurdity of, of playoff beards. I think it's a tremendous like benchmark that tells you how far along you are in your journey of like winning your championship. It's awesome. It reminds me of Survivor because like if a play if a team you ever watch Survivor, Garrett? Eh, not really. It's not something that I go out of my way to watch. If it's on TV, then I'll, I'll okay. turn it on. But I'm not really. I can't say I'm a fan. Well, in Survivor, you know these these guys are out in the wilderness for however long. They make it three days. They make it a month. They grow these beards, and then when it's over, you see them all f plumped up and fresh cut, and they look all they look like a different person. Same thing in the playoffs. You see the team win the Stanley Cup. Everyone's got these big beards, and then when they show up for the celebration, everyone's just like bare faced swollen from alcohol consumption it's it's great yeah playoff beers uh, i just had to look up quickly i'm like what am I, I i almost said the winter classic but i don't know if the winter classic is that a tradition yet like would you uh, consider the winter classic a tradition yeah for sure i would absolutely consider it a tradition okay i love the winter classic the best winter classic was pittsburgh buffalo too like i haven't seen one that really was like as exciting and encapsulates like the spirit of winter. It was in Buffalo. Buffalo is like a great place to have a, a winter classic type type of game. Um, and the the handshakes in the playoffs, I guess you know that's that's like some true sportsmanship there. Uh, that's a good one too. But so we got hats on the ice. We got the playoff beard and. I didn't know if Winter Classic would classify as, as one yet, but I'd put the Winter Classic up there too. I love watching, especially when it's up north somewhere and it's got a little snow going and you got the goalies wearing the big toque, the palm toque on their on their helmet. To me, that's what made the, that first Winter Classic in Buffalo. The snow, like it wasn't, it wasn't like coming down by any stretch of the imagination, but you could see going back and watching those highlights on YouTube, it was snowing there. There definitely was snow in Buffalo during that game. And I think for me, that just adds to the environment. It adds to the lore. Uh, I pr I'd probably have to agree with you that the first winter classic had just about everything you could ask for in terms of a storyline. At that time, you had the face of the league and Sidney Crosby. I think it was the NHL's first real attempt at like a prime time outdoor kind of setting um crosby I, I my memory is terrible crosby won that in the shootout right he was was he the last shooter i don't know if he was the last shooter but crosby ended up scoring in that shootout you so basically you have all of these mini stories playing out in this outdoor game a completely new setting for base probably all of these players unless you played pond hockey growing up but um Everything about that first Winter Classic was was uh, an A plus plus for me. Oh, it was amazing! And like the one cool thing that I think that that uh, that Winter Classic had that not all of them. I actually I can't really speak for this because I've never been one. Winter Classic is actually in Seattle this year, and uh, they're playing Vegas down at uh, I always call it Safeco Field. I don't know what it's called now. It's Mariners suck anyways. Who? Why would I keep track of what that? dump is called in that crappy part of the city but uh like buffalo they were like tailgating like i i i watched the winter classic that winter classic once a year I, that might be weird i watch a full replay of it on the internet 
Because it's, and I love the before the game, people are tailgating outside of uh, whatever that stadium is in, in Buffalo. And you see kids, they're out there, they're playing shinny in the, in the, in the, in the parking lot. They got their, their, their wood sticks out there and their toques on. And, and you see dads that are just crushing, uh, whatever light beers it's probably they've probably been there since the sun came up uh it just looked like an awesome time like i would i wouldn't get maybe if i had like one like if i had three wishes one of my wishes might be used on going to attend that game live uh <laughs> that year buffalo residents and buffalo fans the bills the sabers they are notorious tailgaters like the bills the buffalo bills their fan base has earned a reputation for being like the wildest fan base in the NFL. Snail, I don't see, I don't know if you've seen the videos that have circulated in recent years on social media, but Bills fans, they're the people that if you've seen the videos, they'll jump from like the roofs of their car into foldable tables out in the parking lot because they're just so smashed and it's like 11 a.m. in the morning and they're just, elbow dropping their friends they have a brat in one hand a beer in the other and they're just elbow dropping their friends on these like fold away tables that nine times out of ten if you see something like that it's it's happening in buffalo that's culture oh it's absolutely it's it's, it's, it's amazing it's amazing culture i've i actually saw a couple of these before and it's funny um they they bring a baby to a, a buffalo game and, it, and it's like their baptism they like gently like drop them on a fake little um pick uh, not a picnic table a fold-out table and they break it and everyone goes nuts around them it's like it's like it's it is it's buffalo culture and i think it have you ever been to buffalo no i never have never you ever been to upstate new york have you been I, to New York before? I, I've been to my my aunt and uncle used to live in New York City. I the last time I was there, I was probably six years old, so it's been a long time. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, we could just turn this question into tire pumping. How much? How cool Buffalo is, and how they're better than everyone else at everything they do with sports, except winning Super Bowls and Stanley Cups. And they're still they're still looking for for those tri- for those trophies. <laughs> yeah, winning in general. Actually, their uh, their their box lacrosse team, the NLL team up there, the Buffalo Bandits, they've won they they won the uh, whatever it's called the cup up there last year. But uh, box lacrosse doesn't get a whole lot of love these days. I think it's kind of weird. We can. We should move on before we start. Uh, I think this is our last question, is it not? Question uh, 12? Yes, it is our last question. So Brian uh, asks for uh, our last question here. No hard feelings to Garrett or Robbie, but my flow bro won the candy draft. I'd take the exact same candy, except in the sixth and seventh, I'd have taken take five and milk duds. Milk duds are underrated, but in no way, shape, or form would I have been putting them on my list of seven best candies. Absolutely not. Are milk Wait. duds those, uh, the malted milk ball things? I th- yeah. Uh-huh. Oh, those are good. I forgot about those. They come in the little milk carton. Mm-hmm. Ah, shit. I don't know if they would have six or seven. That's, eh, that might, that might be a miss by me. Honestly, milk duds are pretty good. I don't remember my ranking off the top of my head. I have to go back and watch. But what I do know off the top of my head is uh, Brian is incorrect, as he often is. Even when it comes to ranking these candies, uh, my ranking is superior to Robbie's and Snail's ranking. And, you know, I, I earned the right based on the bet that the three of us placed. I earned the right to that first overall pick. And, uh, hey, I mean... Brian is wrong, but it's not the first time Brian has been wrong. You know, I, I saw uh, last week he, he posed a question. I think it was in part two of the mailbag, the one that I was not here for. Uh, and he asked, which way is the proper way to roll the toilet paper? And um, I don't know which way Brian leans on this debate, but this is a debate that's near and dear to my heart. Nine times out of ten, I will say you have to roll it over rather than under. But I know some people, especially some members of my family, my mother is incredibly, I mean, she is literally diagnosed with OCD, and that's one of the things that will, like, set her off, is if the toilet paper is not as rolling under. Because for her, it's rolling over. And if it's not rolling over, then we got some mad issues in this house. So Will she uh, say something about it? Will oh, you hear yeah, about like, it? Oh, yeah, yeah. 
like and i'll go in there and i'll see like i i'd go in there use the bathroom at 11 a.m she'll go in there at a, like 11 30 and by 1 p.m all the toilet paper is completely fixed it's over instead of under like I guess some some days I could go either or. I don't really care if it's over or under. I know more often than not you're going to get people saying over is the correct way rather than under. But for yeah, my mother, yeah, it's it's over. And if it's not over, then someone's life is going to be over. If you catch my drift, <laughs> that's dude. Yeah, I think when we talked about that last uh, pod or whatever, it was uh, the correct way is is over. That is the correct way. And uh, anyways, I, I which I didn't I, I didn't know that I didn't know there was a correct way. I would have probably guessed the wrong way and then been ridiculed for it. So uh, are you over or under? Well, eh, yeah, I, I, I guess I'll say over just right now, because when I think about it, it does tear easier when it's over. Because when it's under and you're trying to just go for the one handed tear, it'll just unroll more where if it's over it actually might you get a little more leverage on the tear i think you're right i have no evidence to back this up but i know what you're describing and as weird as it sounds i think you're right yeah so brian he he's he's right sometimes he's wrong sometimes what is take five is that the gum like take five gum or is that what it is no that's uh uh i think the gum is just called five gum Oh, just five? Yeah. Where they have the trippy commercials with like... Yeah, the, yeah. How, okay. how, this is how it feels to, to chew five Yes, gum. that's what I was thinking. I was like, yeah, gum's a little weird to chew in your... Maybe he's just a big... He's an ex-cigarette smoker and he just needs gum every Wait, five th- minutes. Is this take five? Is this a Reese's thing? I googled take five candy and it came up Reese's take five. Uh, apparently it's some sort of five layer bar. I don't know what the ingredients here are. Dude, I've uh, never it, seen that before. I have never seen it either. I've never... Uh, the five in the name refers to the combination of five ingredients, chocolate, peanuts, caramel, peanut butter, and pretzels. I like all five of those things. Uh, I've I've just never gone out of my way to, to eat this. That's strange. Yeah, I've never seen that before. And I mean, it looks good. Yeah, I, mean, I don't... Yeah, sure. Maybe if I had had one before, it, my, our drafts boards would have looked a little different. That looks pretty good, but never, can't say I've had one. Twizzlers for the win. Was that you that said Twizzlers? Uh, I think Robbie's. No, Robbie said it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, yeah. It, as far as Brian's uh, milk duds, that got me spinning my wheels a bit. That might have been a miss in my later half of my draft, but uh, in the take five. That was like a that's a college free agent that we had no idea was even oh, yeah. um, or as a college like freshman you didn't know was like eligible for the draft. He was just not on anyone's board. He's playing in uh, the Acha League or something. Anyways, he'll, he'll get a nice signing bonus. He he won't you know like you said he's undrafted. He'll get a nice signing bonus uh, compared to some of the other prospects that go undrafted. True, he'll be Drew O'Connor. Exactly, he, that's who it is. Take five is Drew O'Connor. You know, just. He he worked his way up the up the up the cycle up the mountain and you know now at least according to Brian he's in the big time. He's an Ivy League player, very smart, probably has a promising career outside of hockey if he never makes it. But I don't know, he looks looks promising. Did Drew O'Connor play Ivy League hockey? Yeah. Where did he play at? Uh, I don't know. I just know that we talked about this with Robbie and Robbie had it off the top of his head. He, he named it quick. He's an Ivy League. He won Ivy League like player of the year or something the year before he Where signed with Pitt, I believe. Dartmouth? Dartmouth. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, yeah. That's what it says here. Dartmouth, the Dartmouth big green. So, well, Snell, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we wrap this up? Uh, were, did you go to, I, were you an Ivy League guy? Me? Yeah. Are you kidding me? Look at me. Do I look like an Ivy Leaguer? I mean, yeah. If you if you're like I'm an Ivy League guy, I would have been like, yeah, I see it. Well, I I appreciate that, but were you a nit nitney nitly what nitney lion? Nitney lion. My dad was a nitney lion. He he graduated from Penn State in uh, the early '90s. Did you go to like Virginia Tech or something? No, I went to a small private 
liberal arts school in downtown Pittsburgh. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> liberal then, arts college? That's... I, that sounds like I, something you'd hear out, about out here in the Pacific Northwest. Yeah, I, I majored in broadcast journalism, which is why I'm here in front of is you that, today. Is that like a, was that a school where it's like you like choose your own like degree kind of like you make your own degree? I don't know if it's more or less make your own degree, but I definitely had flexibility in terms of where I wanted to take my, like, I had a curriculum I had to stick to, but... I definitely had flexibility when it came to picking my uh, electorate classes and like outside of the main classes that I needed to, to graduate. Yeah, I could basically do whatever I wanted. Was was uh, Robbie a nit Nittany Lion? Uh, yes, he 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 went to Penn State, too. Uh, I don't know what year he graduated, though. Maybe he can tell us when he comes back later this week. Yeah. Anyways. <laughs> uh well that's that's cool to know i'm glad we touched on that but yeah drew o'connor was an ivy league guy you are not an ivy league guy that is correct You're a liberal arts guy i have two functioning brain cells and just enough brain power to wrap up this edition of the skating penguin network podcast robbie will be back with us later in the week for snail i have been garrett behanna thank you so much for listening to this edition of the skating penguin network mailbag and we will talk to you again very soon